Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Salzberg, co-hosting with WFIU News Bureau Chief, Sarah Whitmire. This week, we're talking about the 2021 legislative session. We have three guests joining us today. Brandon Smith is the Indiana Public Broadcasting Statehouse reporter. Shelley Yoder is the senator from Indiana, Indiana State Senator from District 40. And Shelley is a Democrat. And Jeff Ellington is a Republican. He is the Indiana State Representative from District 62. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition and send us questions there. Or you can also send us questions for the show at news at Indiana Public, Public Media, news at Indiana Public Media.org. So I wanted to start the show today with uh, Brandon Smith because Brandon has covered the State House for quite some time and he's been there to see what's happened so far this session. And I'm sure he's got some opinions on where, what direction this session is going to go. So Brandon, take it away. <laughs> My only opinion at this point is that it's really hard to predict. And that's because this session is so different uh, in many ways from any that I've covered. This is my 11th session covering Indiana's state house. And um, obviously COVID-19 has changed the way we conduct business in, in a lot of walks of life. And the legislature is not immune from that. So uh, for instance, the Indiana house uh, that representative Ellington serves in will not be meeting in the Indiana house chamber as a group of this session. They have set up a temporary makeshift house chamber across uh, across the plaza in Government Center South to allow for more social distancing. Um, committee hearings are different in a lot of ways. Uh, in the House, we've seen folks able to actually testify in the same room as lawmakers. Uh, but in the Senate, for instance, in, in which Senator Yoder serves, um, in a lot of these committee hearings, the senators are in a separate room from the people who want to testify, connected via videos and audio streams. Um, so that's been... Uh, certainly a, a, a change to the way we conduct business. And that it has made it more difficult too. Legislative leaders have talked for weeks now leading up to the start of session that um, the realities, the physical realities of trying to have a legislative session amid COVID-19 and do it safely is going to mean that we might not be able to get as many bills passed through the General Assembly this session as we, are, uh, as we come to expect, particularly from the long budget sessions that last until uh, the end of April. Um, and so they, they've been warning lawmakers, you know, really focus on the priorities that you want to get accomplished because we might not have as much time. And then um, they've also preached flexibility. You know, there are hard sort of deadlines in, in the legislative rules for when they need to have bills pass out of the House and the Senate the first time and then the second time and when they adjourn. But they've also said that they might have to be a little flexible with those rules, depending on how things go. We haven't seen any COVID cases that we know of, fortunately, yet uh, during the legislative session. Uh, so that's good. We don't know if or how long that will last. And then, of course, we had this past week where not a single legislative bit of activity occurred, but for a completely different reason, which is that uh, on the advice of the state police, um, legislative leaders canceled session and any committee hearings for the week because of the FBI warnings around possible armed protests around the country at state capitals related to President Biden's inauguration. Um, fortunately, in Indiana, we didn't see anything. Literally, no one showed up Sunday when there was supposed to be a rally. No one showed up Wednesday around the inauguration. Uh, but because of the, the sort of extra caution that everyone um, took this week, we didn't have any legislative activity. So that might, you know, delay things a little bit or might make some for a time crunch later in session. But it's really hard to predict this, like this session, like I would a normal year, because in so many ways, it really isn't. All right. So we have uh, two um, legislators with us, Jeff Ellington and 
Shelly Yoder. And the one, one thing that is uh, common to both of them is they both served on the Monroe County Council. Uh, we seem to be having some problems getting Jeff connected with us. Uh, we're working on that problem. So I'm going to start with Shelley. And Shelley, you're in your first term as a senator. So what are what are some of your priorities? And you can react to anything that, uh, anything that Brandon said as well. Well, thank you. I appreciate being invited on today. I think it's definitely what Brandon said. It's an unusual year, but I can go as far as to say it's all I know. Uh, so it's not as strange for me as maybe uh, many others uh, serving in the legislature. But I would say I am so honored to be representing Monroe County and the people of my district in the state Senate. I would say my priorities this year would be definitely responding to the great needs of Hoosiers when it comes to COVID-19. I want to make sure that our state budget reflects some real priorities, two of those being a paid family leave program, as well as a work share program that uh, we're working across the aisle to get that across the finish line this year. And also want to make sure that we're responding to the great needs of our um, school teachers. We promised them a pay increase last year. Um, they took a severe cut in that budget you know, a, over a decade ago, and we've not made that whole. And we need to make that right in order to keep our great teachers in the profession and uh, attract more great teachers to our public education system. So those are my priorities. Thanks for having me today. I just, right. I'm hoping Jeff can hop on here. We, we have him. We think we have Jeff now. So Jeff Ellington, thanks for joining us. Um, we, uh, we were just talking with Shelly Yoder. We already, we already listened to Brandon Smith talk about how unusual this session is. I'm sure you can join in on that question. But so the question I asked Shelly was about, you know, what, um, you know, as a first year Senator, she said she didn't have much to compare it to, but for you, I mean, how unusual is this session? And then secondly, what are your priorities for the for the session? Well, I could just say, yeah, I could hear you a while ago, so I just had to reconnect just to make sure. Uh, but for me, it, it's sort of like each session this last six years, always hear that uh, it's going to be a fast session, you know, just pick a few of your bills, one or two, you know, uh, don't expect to get them all heard or passed. I hear that every year, so I'm used to that, uh, at least on the House side, because there's a hundred of us. Uh, but for me, what I've been focusing on is making sure that I do have a couple important bills. Uh, I filed, I think, eight, but out of those eight, there's two fairly important. You know, the main thing for us in the House is to make sure we do a, a budget when we get it out on time. It's a good balanced budget. It shows good reserves. It keeps our credit ratings uh, flush with a good uh credit rating, you know, make Indiana stable. And as you can see, by having a, a good uh, balance in our budget to be able to do emergency situations, especially COVID-19, you've seen that that's been really an asset while other communities are, are eyeing to cut every part of the budget. At least uh, Indiana is uh, a few bills coming up here soon. We'll be increasing budgets. Now, I don't know if we'll be able to do all that way, but at least uh, we're not looking to cut everything across the board, I don't think. At least I'm not. So uh, it's been a pleasure being up here and uh, listening to my constituents. And most all of my bills uh, deals, deals with some sort of uh, constituent contact where there's been an issue or a problem. And in the past, I've tried to fix those and been fairly successful, successful even those uh, bills that have uh, been really uh, controversial, depending on uh, which side of the aisle you sit on. So we've been been lucky to get things passed. Jeff, could you expand a little bit on the idea? I know we had a lot of reserves in the state um, that have been built up. And uh, how has that helped us? You know, what specific ways has that helped us sort of uh, bridge the the gap here as COVID has ravaged a lot of businesses and just a lot of people in the state? Well, in, in uh, previous years, you know, we had to uh, add a lot of dollars to uh, Department of Child Services uh, to make and hire more staffs uh, for those individuals who needed help. 
We had an onslaught of uh, participants in those programs, and the state, you know, as, as any state, it's hard to get uh, a flow chart to move in dollars when you need it. Luckily, we was able to pull down some dollars to hire more staff. Uh, we were able to uh, give schools some extra dollars uh, for technology, for virtual uh, education of our, our children through K through 12. And I think that was very important. Uh, we also gave some flexibilities, you know, uh, to some of the local school budgets, which we were able to free up some state dollars to shift over and for, for some additional infrastructure. So you just never know uh, what might pop up. You know, we've given out some dollars, at least through the governor's programs, on helping and assisting small businesses. You know, now they've got a program out that's dealing with, uh, like, even restaurants and um, entertainment type industries, the arts to help them uh, with their payroll and stuff. Some of those dollars are federal f- flow throughs, but then we've got uh, some state dollars that's been interjected into that. So I think it's just good to have a little extra cash. I mean, people say, you know, it's the people's money, but you know, it's, it's best to have that because when you have a better credit rating, you're able to borrow money right down to your local levels, even, even your libraries and solid waste districts, and their, their rates are geared generally towards what the state's uh, credit rating is at. And that helps save, save some dollars in interest payments in the future. So it just helps out a lot. All right. So you're listening to Noon Edition today on WFIU. We're talking about the uh, 2021 legislative session. If you have questions, you can send them by email to news at indianapublicmedia.org. Or you can find us on Twitter at Noon Edition and send us questions there. So I know the the, uh, governor gave his state of the state address this week, and I wanted to get some reaction. Um, That was Jeff Ellington, who's a Republican. So, Jeff, we'll just start with you. Some reaction to what the governor had to say this week and uh, how well do you think the state is doing? And then we'll go to Shelley. Well, you know, financially, stability-wise, I think the state – is really the envy of uh, especially Illinois and other states around us uh, on our budget priorities and our stabilities and our programs. Uh, the governor uh, has done a great job, you know, with, with abiding by the rules uh, that were set by legislatures many years ago, especially, you know, the Emergency Powers uh, Act. But, you know, uh, there's some changes that, you know, me specifically – and other legislators are trying to interject is make sure that there, he has a better roadmap for whoever's going to be there in the future. Uh, I want all businesses treated equally, uh, especially those that can prove that they are uh, being, can be stay open by using just standard safety procedures of the day, which changes with each incident. And I'm not looking not just only at the governor's authority and, and the rules that are set by the legislature, but also units of government, uh, mayors and county commissioners, right down to the individual health departments. So there will be no uh, loop around uh, if the governor, whoever might be in the future, uh, doesn't want to do a state mandate. And he relies on local authorities to have that authority, which could be just as strict or stricter than the governor's uh, restrictions. And we just want to make sure that everybody's treated equally and uh, we have some consistency in that. And those bulls were set many years ago. They wasn't consistent and they need repaired so we can send our workforce back to work safely, our kids back to school safely and get back on with our lives and our economy. All right. The executive powers of the government or of the governor are something that we can talk more about. Certainly uh, I want to bring <laughs> Shelley, Senator Shelley Yoder in. And talk about you know just your overview of what the governor had to say this week and and the state of the state. Thank you, Bob. I want to just sort of comment. I'll get to what Jeff brought up in a minute, but to respond to your question, I, I appreciated uh, the way that the governor is going to uh, continue to push for those pregnancy uh, protections in the workplace. I also really. Um, appreciated how he is going to prioritize uh, paying our teachers better in this state and make us, make Indiana the gold standard when it comes to teacher pay uh, with our public education system. And so I I appreciated that. And uh, I look to hold um, myself and others in the legislature accountable to that. I also noted that the governor said that 
and, and even Jeff said that other states look to us. Um, and the governor made, I wish I would have the exact quote, but he said something about uh, it's, it's important to have uh, a, a place, a state where the, the workplace is stable and one you can count on. And I would concur with that. And I think along with that, uh, we need to have a paid family leave program in the state of Indiana. We need to have uh, protections for uh, workers and employers that they can keep the talent that they have. They've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in in preparing their workforce and training their workforce. And then when you have something like a global pandemic where employers are being stretched and they have to lay people off and now our unemployment uh, program is really being taxed, it would be great. It would have been great that we had this, but it would be great to have a work share program so employers can keep that talent that they have and be able to also uh, find and create a plan that they can utilize unemployment, but keep the workers that they have. I think that would be a, a benefit to the state of Indiana. I also want to speak to what Jeff was saying about looking at, uh, or I, I think I need some clarity because not every county had protections uh, put in place and listened seriously to the CDC, whether it was wearing masks, whether it was uh, observing social distancing, physical distancing, uh, some of those practices. And when we begin to undermine our departments of health, that they're being driven by science and data and evidence, that that is a real concern. I think they are in place to provide that kind of guidance for a community and we should be uh, saying thank you uh, that, that they do look at science and making those recommendations to our county commissioners and to our local mayors. So I, I uh, am concerned about that legislation because I certainly don't want to undermine the scientists, the medical professionals and the uh, evidence that's there guiding our departments of health. Sarah Whitmire, before before you ask your question, I do want Brandon to weigh in on the executive powers issue and uh, how what you know what are your observations about how that's going to go? Well, looking at the specific legislation that's in the House, it doesn't say anything about businesses or treating businesses the same or health orders or anything like that. What the House legislation that specifically gets to the idea of the governor's executive powers says is that um, it basically gives the legislature more opportunities to block the governor from doing what the governor does. So, uh, for instance, it, under, the, um, under the bill as it is currently written, um, if it had been in place during the COVID-19 pandemic over the last nearly year now, um, the legislature would have had to meet in special session at least three or four times in order for the governor to renew the public health emergency. And the public health emergency that the governor declared first in March and then renewed every month since, um, that triggers the executive powers that he used to issue the stay-at-home order in March, to uh, issue gathering restrictions that have been in place now for a few months that have helped uh, contribute to the decline in the number of cases, um, that, ha you know, things like that. All of those executive orders that the governor has issued during the pandemic uh, the power to do that, the authority to do that is triggered by the declaration of the public emergency, in this case, a public health emergency. And what the House legislation would do was say, well, if he wants to, if, and I say he because we've only ever had male governors, but if the governor um, issues this public emergency declaration, if they, and state law says you can only do that for 30 days, if you want to renew it once, the legislature either has to already be in session or they have to be called into a special session. And by the way, state law says only the governor is allowed to call a special session. Um, then if it, it can go for another 60 days, if you want to renew it again, another special session or you're in session. 
60 days, another special session, another special session. So again, at least three or four times the legislature would have had to been called into a special session during this pandemic. And we haven't seen exactly what the governor thinks of the specific legislation, but asked generally about the idea a few weeks ago, he said, you know, COVID-19 doesn't wait for a meeting, doesn't wait 30 days to talk about it. And he was wary of something that would have constrained his ability to take the actions that he's taken over the last 10 months. Um, We'll see what comes out of the House. It might change, um, but there is a a lot of uh, desire among, I would say particularly Republicans, but lawmakers in general, to sort of give them more of a voice to weigh in on a long lasting public emergency. Brandon, can you talk about then is it in the same bill that it would put some sort of limit on what counties can do? What it what is what is that issue? I don't know, quite frankly. Uh, there's lots of pieces of legislation. I haven't read them all, um, so if that might be a different bill. Uh, but the the legislation dealing with the governor's executive powers that was heard in a House committee a couple weeks ago, or last week, I should say, um, has said nothing, as far as I'm aware on what counties could do. Um, There is a different piece of legislation uh, in the Senate that deals with um, actions by a a county health department or a local health department in terms of fines that they issue to businesses. And basically what it says is, if a local health department issues an order that includes an enforcement action against a business, like a fine, um, it Uh, there has to be a process in place to appeal that decision to the local legislative body. So if I'm a local business and my health department issues me a fine for some violation, whether it's mask wearing related to um, COVID-19 or, you know, a a health and safety um, uh, advisory that's, you know, uh, been in place a lot longer, um, I can appeal that to my local city council or my local county council, whichever is the uh, authorizing entity there. Um, So that's related, but slightly different. Uh, There might be other pieces of legislation that I'm not familiar with, but that's what I know about. Jeff, did you have something to add? Well, I just want to say that my bill, uh, House Bill 1412, uh, we've already been in discussions with Matt Lehman on uh, parts of my bill. Uh, Really, uh, there's individuals who was on that summer a study group talking about the, this issue. Uh, also, at least one or several chairmen of our committees uh, that's read my bill that said there's uh, a lot in my bill that they agree with, and they were hoping that uh, they probably would wish they would have started with my bill first, but they'd like to see some of my bill be amended into uh, Representative uh, Layman's. Mine deals with the uh, Two good points is one that if emergency uh, is called, special session is also uh, potentially called that during that special session uh, that they'll only, uh, the topics will be limited only to the consideration for the purpose of the the state of disaster. So you can't go in there and and try to, you know, uh, make a new car or whatever, you know, uh, this is, and that's not in anyone else's bill. It also states in my bill that, um, uh, not only the governor, but local health officials or other units of government cannot close down a religious facility. And I'm getting a lot of uh, support for that in my part of the bill. So we're thinking about uh, my bill that might get a hearing. We'll basically deal with local units and we'll uh, take out some of the things that uh, Matt Lehman's bill is dealing with. Uh, but there's overwhelming support, at least from my district, that every business needs to be treated equally. Uh, if you're letting Walmart open and a small business can open with the same type of restrictions and still comply, why not? Uh, there's a lot of small businesses uh, that are losing the ability to, to reopen, and that's not fair. And um, I think uh, especially look at downtown Bloomington with restaurants, et cetera, and other organizations or other businesses that could have been open if they would have been able to uh, abide by the same restrictions and prove that they can abide by the same restrictions. Uh, I just think it's uh, fairness. So I think uh, we'll have a lot of support, but just trying to, on this short session, I think this is one of the high topics. So we'll hopefully get some of this worked in someplace. Let me ask a uh, follow-up to that, Jeff. Uh, 
Guilford, sorry, Representative Ellington and for Senator Yoder, it it seems as if, um, and Jeff, you know, that you were, have been heavily involved in annexation legislation. Uh, I know this year there's legislation about, you know, landlord uh, rights. Some some local communities have, have said that's an overreach of the state legislature. Uh, you were a local official. You were a county official. Shelley Yoder is, was a county official until running for state senate. Um, do you see a trend in the legislature for um, creating legislation that's going to restrict what local governments can do? Well, I, I think uh, the main issue here is that the legislature gave all these units of government the guidelines. And sometimes you have communities or units that really overstepped what was intended for those guidelines. So you've seen a lot of corrections over the, even the last last 60 years of corrections where changes needed to be made. So uh, when we have uh, constituents, whether they be property owners or renters or, or absentee landlords that still have an investment in our, our units uh, where we live, Everyone needs to be represented and um, looked at, you know, like how that's going to affect them from a change, you know, like sidestepping what was intended for annexation and doing, instead of doing one annexation plan, do seven, you know, or uh, change building codes at a local level more stringent than state codes, et cetera. Um, we, we, I think we're just kind of looking for, at least I'm looking for uniformity, no matter where I live, I want to know how my property is treated or how my workforce is treated or how my manufacturing processes, uh, building wise is treated, you know, to make sure that I'm treated equally across the state in different communities while still relying on those communities inputs on, you know, different aspects of design or looks or, you know, what they type of businesses they want to attract, you know, you know, not getting into that, but so that's, I think, uniformity. So. Okay. All right. Shelly. Well, this idea of uniformity that is so interesting uh, that communities should abide, have this look, not look the same, but by, uh, I guess, well, I'll just use that phrase, look the same, that businesses should look the same, that there's some uniformity about that. But when we talk about issues of access to housing, when we talk about issues of um, good public schools, and we have to talk about issues of um, having you know, those kinds of um, issues of people and what access to healthcare, again, um, that, that that is somehow different. I, I would just push back and say there, I feel looking through both the House bills and the Senate bills, there are so many that seem to be overreaching. Just speaking to that question of annexation. um, Yes, many argued that when this came, um, when the mayor of Bloomington, when John Hamilton put forth his annexation plan, it it was um, expansive and it came as a surprise we started those conversations. The community started engaging in those conversations and pieces started to uh, sort of fall off. Okay, we, that's off the uh, off of the um, table of consideration. Now let's look at this uh, section of the annexation. It engaged the community in which parts of these possible uh, plots that we were looking at for annexation, whether or not they would be included. And then the state legislature stepped in and said, no, Bloomington, uh, you will need to put a halt to all annexation. And that that forbids the community in having a say on what their community will look like. Those conversations are important. And the overreaching, which sort of puts a kibosh on those conversations, I think is dangerous and not helpful to, uh, well, to civic engagement, if you want to really sort of boil it down. But I also want to say that the the impact of this uh, overreaching and annexation 
has some pretty um, significant impact when it comes to uh, our, um, you know, access to good drinking water. In the state of Indiana, um, the our access to good drinking water has declined significantly. And one of the issues is broken septic systems that are leaking uh, feces into our waterways. And one way that we can do that is making sure that those that are on close to uh, the periphery of uh, city limits or city sewage, getting them hooked up. If we could find ways to do that, uh, that would be positive. And annexation on those peripheral communities or even in donut communities within the city limits, that would be a benefit uh, when it comes to making sure we're protecting our drinking water. So I would um, I'd just push back a little bit and um, I'm curious about that, you know, we, we hear a lot about socialism, um, but that idea of uniformity seems um, like a curious, uh, a curious way to reason it out. Sarah? I'm, so I want to talk about the budget for a couple minutes here. And Brandon, maybe you can start by just talking about the different priorities among Democrats, Republicans, and even the governor's um, priorities seem a little different than necessarily the Republicans. Yeah, so uh, I think Representative Ellington talked about this uh, a little earlier. It's been a pleasant surprise as we've seen, well, we've only seen one budget uh, proposed so far, and that's the governor's. That's the way this timeline works. We'll get the House Republican budget um, sometime in February, and then the Senate Republican budget uh, likely in March as it moves through the legislative process. But um, it's been a pleasant surprise so far in that, obviously, with COVID-19, everyone was worried that state finances were going to uh, take a nosedive and we were going to be talking about a, a new two-year state budget that had to make really deep cuts uh, to a lot of different places. And and it looks like that will de- almost certainly not be the case for a variety of reasons. Um, state revenues have recovered faster in some, some way, in some ways than a lot of people thought. Uh, the federal COVID relief Um, has helped the state um, use money, for instance, to pay state employees who've been working on the on the uh, public health crisis the last 10 months. And so that's money that was already in the state budget for their salaries that now could be used to fill the holes that were created during the economic downturn that has undoubtedly happened during COVID-19. There's also been um, uh, the, the state made cuts to state agencies and public or and higher education um, during uh, early on in the pandemic because they were prepared for this downturn and for state finances to dry up in a lot of ways. Um, they are going to be able to start uh, filling back those budgets uh, in the new one. Uh, so that's a positive sign. Um, we're also talking about increasing, everybody will uh, support increases in K-12 education spending. Um, the governor's first proposal was $377 million over the biennium. Um, it's likely that House Republicans will probably find more uh, money for that. And, and uh, you know, we'll see what the Senate does as well. Uh, everybody supports that. Where exactly those dollars go, however, may be a source of some contention. House Republicans have talked about expanding the school voucher program, eligibility for that. That's money that would go, the way the money works in Indiana is it's all in one pot for K-12 education. Uh, and so, Traditional public schools get the vast, vast, vast majority of it because about 90% of students go to traditional public uh, schools. But some of that money is then goes to parents who use it to pay for private education for their children. Um, if you expand eligibility to that, the way it works is less money will go to traditional K-12 schools as more money goes to um, private school vouchers. Governor Holcomb said something interesting in his State of the State address, which I haven't heard a Republican governor in Indiana say, which is parents, of course, deserve options um, to have options about where they send their child to be educated. Uh, Everybody, I think, should agree with that. But then he said, quote, but at the same time, those options shouldn't come at the expense of the public school system. Um, That's something that public school, traditional public school advocates have sort of focused on as, as potentially a source of friction between uh, the governor and and legislative Republicans. We'll see if that plays out. Um, it may not, but it was certainly something that raised some eyebrows this week. Um, beyond that, the governor, the governor's proposed budget plans to spend down um, state reserves a little bit. Uh, we have, uh, at the end of this current fiscal year, which is up at the end of June, 
we anticipate having the same, basically the same state budget reserves levels that we did before the pandemic, which is a credit to how the state has recovered and how the state has been able to manage its finances with the reserves that already existed. And the governor recognizes that we don't need 14% of our budget in state reserves. Um, so he wants to spend $702 million to pay down some state debt. Uh, while that has been a popular um, uh, thing for Republicans to do over the last few years as we've had strong budget reserves, I think, for instance, House Republicans are a little, uh, a little unsure that that much money should go to paying down debt. Uh, even if it does save you some money in the future. Um, they're looking at, for instance, small business support. They're looking at help for learning loss, which students have experienced across Indiana, and using some of those reserve dollars for those causes on a one-time basis, as opposed to just paying off debt. So that would be another, I wouldn't call it a source of friction, but certainly a place where um, Republican leaders and the governor might diverge. Before Shelley and, and Jeff weigh in on their priorities, Brandon, I do just want to ask you what what's in the what's in the governor's budget proposal for COVID relief for businesses and for just individual Hoosiers. I'm I can't think of anything. Okay, okay. Um, Shelley, would you like to go next and just talk about what you see as the Democratic priorities with the budget? Sure, Sarah. I wanted to say that by what Brandon was saying regarding traditional public schools, the idea that we would expand vouchers um, is over uh, investing that money in our public school system and paying our teachers uh, a professional wage, a living wage, um, is, is outrageous. And if by traditional you mean uh, public schools that have uh, transparent that are required to have to have transparency um, that are um, held to a higher standard that uh, public dollars are put there and then held accountable for those public dollars uh, expanding the voucher system we don't get the same uh, oversight the same transparency um, with those public dollars that are spent I hope that the priority in this next budget does priority does prioritize ex, uh, increasing teacher pay in public school systems. Um, we owe them that. We promise them that, and this next budget should reflect that. I'd also like to see uh, a a focus on. I think I've mentioned it already, but I am hearing from constituents. Uh, a desire to have a family leave program established, paid family leave for children, for dependent care, uh, especially now that we you know, have just, we're living through a global pandemic and we see the intergenerational aspect of how we are providing care uh, to our, our parents, our grandparents, as well as to our children. It would be a plus for Indiana to have a fa paid family leave program. In my bill, it would give up to 12 weeks of paid family leave. And I am uh, seeing support um, from that, from businesses uh, to, uh, to workers. So that would be a plus. And I hope that, that those things can be done in, these, uh, in this next budget. The, the priorities of the Democrats, I mean, certainly, uh, we wanna make sure that there is an increase in the minimum wage. I mean, the, the governor has been known to say that he doesn't want Hoosiers to know, to expect a minimum of anything, but we do have expectations of minimum. I mean, uh, what does that mean? Um, that we wouldn't have an expectation of a minimum of what we would expect um, if we got ill and had to seek care from a hospital, if we uh, went to school, that there's no minimum that we should expect uh, from, uh, from education. We have those minimums already, and it is time that Indiana uh, raised that minimum wage and addressed it. So I, that is a priority of Democrats um, in the state Senate as well as uh, some real perfection, uh, some protections for workers in increasing the schedule for workers' compensation. Before we go to Jeff, let me give uh, our numbers again. So if you have a question, you can send them, not numbers, but you can, our email address is news at indianapublicmedia.org. 
You can also find us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So Jeff Ellington, uh, there's a lot to react to. Um, so go ahead. Oh, <laughs> I, well, I, again, the main uh, the main focus, of course, is we have to do the state budget. If you do anything else but, that has to be the top priority and always is. Just making sure we get it in on the stipulated time. Um, you know, that'll be a, a good fiscally responsible budget. You know, I talked about the, keeping our AAA credit, credit rating uh, to having some nice uh, reserve balances here in case of emergencies. Uh, we're looking at uh, establishing a, uh, a new grant program uh, that will help in the, uh, the critical health challenges we've had, you know, of COVID. And that's House Bill 1007. We'll also uh, try to provide uh, civil liability protections, you know, against COVID for businesses and schools and healthcare entities and like others in that relative uh, confined space we have in house bill 1002 uh, we'll invest uh, in K through 12. You know, we've got the bill that's going to uh, make sure that the virtual education is paid at a rate of hundred percent to 85% for those uh, 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 local school districts. And we've also, uh, putting some money aside, extra dollars into law enforcement to boost our accountability, uh, to make sure that there's transparency in uh, the policing we have, uh, talking about, uh, help paying for body cameras. I think that's in, you know, the budget 1001 and, uh, sharing the employment records. I think that's thousand thousand and six. And also, we're going to make an investment in uh, one of our state uh, police training uh, academy buildings, infrastructures that's used by um, all the policing agencies across the street, all across the state. And uh, that'll be uh, an additional investment we can also make. Uh, but for me, uh, for District 62, other than the budget and those other key priorities, uh, number one for me is making sure that I get funding back up to par for Westgate Authority, uh, which is uh, within three miles of Crane's base. You know, those are high-paying jobs. And we have a contract annually for two that was at $1.2 million. And the funding level uh, underneath the drawdown of the taxes, because there's three different combined tech parks there, was $1.5 million a year. And now that's 300000 And... Um, you know, with the expectation that Crane is going to be adding, you know, 500 jobs a year for the next 10 years through attrition, retirement, and new uh, services there that's provided for military. And the governor's initiative to increase military uh, assets here as far as jobs and technology through Indiana. I think that uh, this is only right, I believe, should be one of his top priorities also, since he's a Navy guy, <laughs> to help. Uh, Southwest Indiana, which this would do a great deal. And Bloomington, there's people that live in Bloomington and Terre Haute and Vincennes that travel, you know, 30, 45 minutes, some an hour to get to their job at Crane. And you're talking some really good, highly skilled, highly trained, highly paid workers that benefits all of Indiana. So, so Jeff and, and Shelley, that there's been a lot of national conversation about police reform. Jeff, the, the issues that you or the bills you were talking about, would you characterize that as Indiana's attempt at uh, some level of police reform? Well, I think uh, one, some of, I'd say sort of, uh, you know, there's also dollars, you know, we got to make sure that, uh, you know, we're looking at teachers, but really if you compare, say, salaries of uh off line, off line officers that are out in the middle of the night when there's only maybe two or three on a road and you compare them with say even teacher salaries or what their salary should be. You know, when I retired uh, at, at 28 years of the fire department, I was like at 52,000 and a 28 year teacher in this district was 72. And that I know that some districts, you know, the pay rate are, are good when you're first hired in, uh, but now the older ones are maybe not setting as good as the, the new hires are some of it could be backwards. Um, so I think, you know, this is just part of it. I think pay is a, is another part to make sure you not only uh, have qualified teachers, but qualified uh, police and fire department employees. 
And there's other bills that's running through. I know Jack Sandlin and another senator has uh, something that deals with IMPD. Uh, you know, they are two former police officers, and they feel that the departments got really politicized, and it's hurting uh, the, their constituents there in Indianapolis area. And I think that's just one of the little problems we've had throughout the state of uh, people looking at maybe cutting those budgets. Uh, I've got a bill that uh, will stabilize uh, line officers in their budgets, you know, as long as uh, there's no fluctuation in that local unit's uh, revenue source, which they can opt out, you know, for that reason. Uh, so I think it's uh, it's something everybody's taking another look at since the uh, the issues we've seen across the nation. Senator Yoder? Well, I just want to speak further on uh, Senator Sandlin's bill, which would put the Indianapolis Metro Police Department underneath the the, the, uh, state legislature, which uh, is, again, an overreach. Let Indianapolis, let Marion County figure out what their community needs and not have this, I, I don't want to determine uh, the needs of the Indianapolis Police Department. That falls under the, the jurisdiction of the city. Uh, and I, I guess I'm, I was surprised uh, you know, to see that bill, uh, Jeff's bill about um, the way local communities fund their law enforcement and know that you know, even in, on the county council in Monroe County, uh, you know, every year it was just, um, it was always tricky um, to figure out how to balance that budget, how to make sure we fund the needs of whether it's the sheriff's department, uh, the jail, and also the other departments in county government. And from year to year to year, it had to be incredibly nimble and in looking at because there, there's a lot there that we don't have uh, jurisdiction over in terms of budgeting. It's sort of determined by the state. And what we do have to have more overreach in that area was really going to undermine local governments being able to to do what they need to the respond to the needs of their citizens. So um, that's I, I'm uh, excited that uh, what I, what I heard your question, Bob, about different uh, ways that um, that the this next session can respond. You know, there is a legislation that's um, going to uh, put forth to ban chokeholds, uh, no-knock warrants, um, and uh, the body cams, as what Jeff Ellington was speaking to. Okay. Um, we, we only have a couple minutes left, but we got a question from um, David that I want to get to real quick. And this is for you, Shelly, and for Jeff. Um, David wants to know about the legislation that would prevent employers from firing workers who refuse a mandated vaccine, such as a new COVID, COVID vaccine, for reasons such as religious or medical exemptions. Um, says SB 74 in the Indiana Senate would protect workers from being fired. And he's curious if you to support that bill. Yeah, Are you, can I, I, I go? First. Yeah, Jeff, go ahead. I say I haven't read the bill yet, uh, but I do know there there already are some exemptions. Uh, if you're an employee of certain businesses, that uh, they cannot mandate for you to take that. Uh, but there probably is some that um, mandate it, but it's very small percentage-wise. So I, I'm sort of like in agreement that uh, if it's not a necessity, not a health issue, I think you should have a choice if you want to. Me, for one, I'm as soon as I can get available to take it, I'm going to take it. I, you know, I take my uh, flu shot every year, and and uh, I just know uh, it's good for me. And sometimes it might might not might be good for a small percentage of the population, but I think that that should be your choice. But it really depends on what uh, workforce you are in. And I think there is some exemptions, but I'll look at that bill. I would agree with you, Jeff. <laughs> I, um, I'm going to get that vaccine as quickly as I can uh, when it's made available. And I think there, you know, the way that the legislation is written right now, not this new this, uh, bill that's been filed, but uh, there are already uh, some exemptions, uh, religious exemptions. And this, the, the language of the file, the bill that's been filed 
adds a um, an, just a conscientious objection to a vaccination. Um, I would agree with Jeff. I think there are some uh, there are some prof uh, careers or uh, if you want to call it businesses uh, that hospitals uh, that having a requirement to be vaccinated um, I think is is currently there and and the bill that we have that the legislation that we have now um, I, I think that it's this new one that's been filed is really uh, out of fear of something that's new like COVID uh, not wanting to be required by an employer but the bill that the legislation that we have now in place in Indiana uh, certainly provides those protections and and if there is a religious objection an, an employee can can file for that exemption brandon smith in the last minute that we have uh, i'd like for you to talk about you know what you've witnessed in terms of uh, bipartisanship in the indiana state house is there any is there a lack of it i mean it's definitely uh, super majorities in both the house and the senate for the republicans nationally we've seen a lot of divisions how well are we situated in indiana when it comes to people working together yeah this is something i love to talk about because i think people uh, who sort of follow politics loosely um, look at what happens at the federal level and they don't see bipartisanship there and they just assume that it's like that everywhere else. Um, in Indiana, uh, this session and, and just about every session, the, the General Assembly will pass hundreds of pieces of legislation. Uh, hundreds of things will become law. And the vast, vast, vast majority, I've seen numbers 70, 80 percent, sometimes even 90 percent, will be overwhelmingly bipartisan. In fact, a majority, I think, pass unanimously every single year. Um, and that's because the, the issues that Indiana lawmakers are working on are the issues that are hitting home for their constituents and, and what are good for Hoosiers. Um, there are obviously, and we've heard some of them today, issues on which, big issues on which uh, Republicans and Democrats at the State House disagree. But it's important to remember that um, the vast majority of what the General Assembly does every single year is done on an overwhelmingly, almost uh, sometimes even unanimously bipartisan basis. All right. Thanks a lot, Brandon, for, for uh, summing that up for us. That was Brandon Smith from Indiana Public Broadcasting. We also had, uh, as our guest today, State Representative Jeff Ellington and State Senator Shelley Yoder. For co-host Sarah Whitmire, producer Benta Boutier, and engineer John Bailey, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening to Noon Edition. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program is available at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Production support comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.